Today I want to talk to you about uh, Paul or John's revelation. He was given uh, this vision on the island of Patmos and Jesus appeared to him. And there was a letter, uh, he actually, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are the chapters that are really for us. Chapter four, verse one, we're out of here. But those first three chapters are powerful. There's letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, which would be modern day Western Turkey, okay? Jeanette and I have been on the island of Patmos. Uh, we were there with a bunch of other ministers and Tony Cook, who's been here, uh, Rick Renner, uh, you know, you guys, a lot of you guys might know him. Uh, we've been on the island of Patmos, been, they, they're pretty sure the cave that we were in was the cave where John got that vision. It's pretty cool going there. The island of Patmos is about 10 miles wide. It's about five miles deep and it's a crescent shape and it it's all rock and it has a lot of mines in it. So John, it doesn't say John was on the island of Patmos when he got the vision. It says he was in the island because he was in a mine shaft, probably beating rocks. And, uh, you know, whatever, he was there. Um, he didn't get exiled because he, he proclaimed that Jesus, he believed in Jesus. Rome, under Caesar Domitian, which was, we always think of Nero as the real bad Caesar, but he didn't compare to Domitian, the Caesar of John's day. And Rome was a free religious state. Now, we can understand this now. Because, I mean, everybody runs around going, hey, we have freedom of speech as long as you say what we want you to say, right? But that's the way it was in Rome. It's like you have freedom of religion as long as you're willing to proclaim Caesar as Lord. And so John would not, he wasn't, he wasn't exiled because of his, he didn't believe in, or because he believed in Jesus. He was exiled because he refused to proclaim that Caesar was God, right? Could you imagine Domitian? He had a 27-foot marble statue of himself erected, right? And literally, where when people would come in the port, they would see this figure. And on the imperial day of the Lord, everyone had to burn incense and proclaim that Caesar was Lord, Okay, so we're going to talk about this. So John's on this island, he gets this vision, and, and because of the time that we're living in, why are we going to look at it? I'm going to specifically get into the letter to the church at Ephesus, because this letter was one of the first things that Jesus dealt with, with his church. You're going to see, this is the first time that Jesus appeared after being ascended into heaven. John would have been somewhere between maybe, I'd say around 80 years old, right? When Jesus left the earth, John was anywhere from maybe 16 to 19 years old. He started following Jesus, they estimate anywhere from 13 to 16 years old. So all these years later, now here's John right, at, at the end of his life, and in this letter, this is what I really, I'm going to kind of give you the, 
the reason for me teaching on this today. The letter to the church at Ephesus was a very strong indication from Jesus for his people. Ephesus was the greatest church of its day, and yet Jesus said, you need to return to your first love or your early love. Jesus was telling these people that were working very hard trying to serve him that, listen, I've got something against you. You're out there doing all this ministry and you've left your first love. And for a lot of Christians, that's where they're at. This is just, it's just a book. I never read it. I don't respect it, right? If I do go to church, I go to church. You know, when I want, I do what I want. All of that drips with, I've lost my first love, right? In, in our marriage, we cultivate that, right? If you're around here, I bet all of you could probably tell the story of probably maybe even know what date I met Jeanette, right? It's like, Pastor, are you going to tell us again, right? What kind of dress she was wearing, a red dress, right? Uh, our first date, where we went, Tortilla Flats, a Mexican restaurant. The table was crooked and she was laughing at me. And Why do we do that? We cultivate our first love. I'm more in love with her today, I'm more infatuated with her today than I've ever been because I cultivate that all the time. We are to do that with God. I do that with God all the time. It's hard for me to preach. Guys, I'm like a kid at Christmas. Remember when you were a kid? You were just like, Christmas, right? That's the way I am. I'm like, Rosh Hashanah. I could possibly see him face to face. I wish he could wipe my tears away before the thousand year millennium because with me, when I get, you know when I'm full because I'm crying. I'm probably just going to cry for a thousand years, you know? Just like, wow. No, no, seriously. Wow, right? That's why I get so excited about this. But I want to read, I want to go ahead and get into this letter because it'll help us. I hope it births a passion. I'm trusting the Spirit of God to birth a passion. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir because I am looking at a lot of people that I walk with and live with that love God with all of their heart. For you, I would say, God wants to take you deeper. He's, and he's amazing, right? So, the book of Revelation, it was penned by the Apostle John, right? The disciple that Jesus loved. All the other disciples, by the time this one was penned, by the time of this vision, all the other disciples had been martyred in different parts of the world. John was not. Now, Domitian had him boiled in oil, and he didn't die. So, I mean, think about that. So, Domitian got so mad at him because he would not proclaim him as Lord. He's like, fine, we're just going to boil you in oil. What they would do is they would literally 
they would chain a person to a chair, a metal chair, and they had this big vat of oil that's boiling, and Domitian would have been there, everybody would have been there, and he's like, okay, here we go. And they would lower them into boiling oil. And you know, real slow, could you imagine how that felt on their feet? Could you imagine their faces when John's feet were submerged in that oil? And he's sitting there going, Domitian, not, not in pain. Domitian, guess what? Jesus is my Lord. I'm not moved by this. They'd keep lowering him. Could you imagine Domitian's face? He's like, why is he not screaming? Wait, why is he not? Well, fine, whatever, we'll just drown him. So they just submerge him completely. What would happen is when they would submerge a person in boiling oil, they'd leave him down there long enough, and then when they pulled him out, it was really nice. You know, all, everything would just fall right off the bones, and you just have a skeleton. Nasty, right? I mean, we're kind of in this season of this ridiculous, satanic holiday, right? Aren't you getting tired of seeing 18-foot or 12-foot skeletons going... You'd have to be spiritually dead to like something like that, right? But that's what happened. So he tried boiling John in oil. Do you know John did not drown? So finally he's just like, whatever, get rid of this guy. Put him on the island of Patmos. Isn't that interesting? So if you could imagine John when he came back to Ephesus, I mean, people were like, he was the most, um, what would you say, revered believer in the land. He was a spiritual father to all these pastors of these seven churches. There were 500 to 1,000 churches in Asia Minor. And yet he was, he was the spiritual father. He, he took care of Mary. He lived in Ephesus. He was on that island for 18 months. The Domitian Caesar who put him on that island died while he was on that island. Right? So let's keep going into this. John initially moved to Ephesus before somewhere before 70 AD before Jerusalem was destroyed Ephesus it was considered the greatest city in Asia Minor we've been there there's nothing like being in Ephesus with Rick Renner you know he spent he spent he told me he goes I spent 36 days with the curator of Ephesus he said Tony there are temples here that they have not opened up yet that literally the marble pillars are bigger than the redwoods. Just massive, right? So we were in Ephesus. Ephesus was an interesting, it's an interesting city because most cities like Corinth, Philippi, when we were there, they built cities on top of cities. So the ruins are underneath. But Ephesus, they built the new Ephesus away. So you could still see the ruins. I mean, I stood on the place where Timothy was martyred. You know, it's just the streets are there. Everything is there. It's real interesting. The church at Ephesus, it was not only the largest. They estimate about 100,000 people. But it had the who's who. Timothy was the pastor at one point. I mean, Apollos taught there. John was there. Mary was there. All these people. It was the, who, it was the, it was the greatest church of the land ministers who had wrong motives that wanted to step in the ministry to be seen would all try to go to Ephesus to establish their ministry because if Ephesus put their stamp of approval on them, then it would launch them in the ministry. 
So the work that these people were doing in the church, they were constantly working, trying to keep all the nonsense out. Have you ever been around a minister that you almost want to go throw up because there's so much about themselves and they just are like, man, this is just all about me. And there's one thing you never sense. They could be a great speaker. They could be super dynamic, but zero anointing. You're just like, get me out of here, right? It's kind of like when you meet a professional athlete. Some of them are just the humblest guys. They're fierce competitors, but they're just like, I'm so thankful that God has given me this gift. I get to play my favorite sport as a lifestyle. There's others that you walk in a room and you almost can't stand to be around them because they're like, look at me, I'm God's gift, right? So that's what they were dealing with here. So John did not need to establish any credentials. Everybody, because remember when Jesus said to Peter, like, what is it to you if John doesn't die before I return, right? So some people were going, man, this dude was boiled in oil. He didn't die. I don't think he's going to die. So they were like, he was like well-known, right? So now let's look at this a little bit. Let me see. I've been jumping around all the time. So Caesar Domitian, he ruled from A.D. 81 so John moved to Ephesus before AD 70, we know. So about 11, 12 years, something around there later, Domitian takes over as Caesar, and he rules from 81 to 96, 15 years. Domitian was worse than Nero, who ruled from 54 to 68. You know, Nero, why did he end his Caesar reign? Well, he committed suicide right? So 15 years or whatever, 14 years for him. But Domitian said, I am Lord and God, and everybody is going to worship me, right? He was a very paranoid emperor. He had astrologers, philosophers in his court that he would always put to death because he was paranoid. He's like, everybody's out to get me. He would kill Christians the church at Ephesus was under, well, actually, the early church here was under extreme persecution. All of these pastors of these seven churches were under extreme persecution to the point where they didn't know if they were going to make it or not. Okay? So I'm kind of just kind of getting you ready for this story. There was so much pressure from Domitian. So the context of the book of Revelation is the early church was under heavy persecution. So let's look at it. But I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, because I want to pull some truths out of here. You guys okay with this? So we're just going to, we're going to kind of go from Revelation 1, 1 through about Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. So about 27 verses. Only 27 today, guys. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Wow. If it was shortly going to come to pass, that's like 1,900 years ago. Guess what it is right now? It's at the door, right? 
and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So John bore record of this. What did he bear record? The word of God. John would bear record of that. I'm bearing record of the word of God right now. He also bore record of the testimony of Jesus Christ, right? He also bore testimony. I'm bearing testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm always preaching the word, right? But look at this, and of all things that he saw, not only when he was alive, when Jesus was alive on the earth, but also when Jesus was alive and appeared to him in the island of Patmos, Blessed, now this is the book of Revelation, it says this, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Isn't it interesting, if you look at the book of Revelation, that is the book that all of us say, gosh, you just can't, it's just, I can't understand it. It's the only book called the revealing of Jesus Christ, but that we go, I can't understand it. Out of all the books, it's the only one that promises you a blessing if you hear it. Look at this, let's read it again. If you hear, if you keep it, if you hear and keep this, there's a blessing. So verse four, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Again, that would be like modern-day Turkey, Western Turkey. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a way to start a letter, right? Now this is what you have to know about the book of Revelation. It is a revealing of Jesus Christ. So when I've taught the book of Revelation, verse by verse, took 29 weeks the first time, I speed it up the second time, we took 28 weeks the second time, <laughs> just speeded it up, right? But, you know, from a pastoral standpoint, we keep our eye on the ball, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the Antichrist, who cares? Right, this guy's a flash in the pan right? I mean, he, he's in power for seven years, and if you read it, you almost start feeling sorry for him. Because, I mean, this dude, every time he turns around, there's meteors hitting the earth, there's this happening, there's that happening. I mean, it's a mess. And then this guy, he doesn't even get to stand before the white throne judgment of God at the end of the millennial reign. He is just, he's just thrown directly into the lake of fire. Dude, you're over, Right? Right? I mean, this guy's so messed up, he gets midway through the tribulation, Satan himself possesses him. I've been around people possessed by demons. It's a little freaky, right? 
Actually, to be honest with you, it makes me mad. When I get around it, I just, oh. You know, I'm like, Lord, you got to help me because I want to rip this guy's head off. And I know that the guy is not the problem. It's who's in him, right? But could you imagine somebody possessed by Satan, right? How arrogant. So this, look at this, and it says, well, let me, let me finish that thought. So it's a revealing of Jesus Christ. Everything I'm reading right now was, was inspired by the Spirit of God. Look at what it says. Jesus Christ, he's a faithful witness. He's the first begotten of the dead. Do you see how it's a revealing of him? Right? He's the prince of the kings of the earth. What is Domitian saying? I'm Lord and God. No, no, no. Jesus is prince of the kings of the earth. You're just a guy on the earth. Right? So this is, this is amazing. So look at verse 7. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him. This is talking about the second part of the second coming. When Jesus comes, we will be with him coming back to this earth, and he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and there will be a great earthquake that will cut through the western, or I, I can't, I think it's the eastern gate, yeah. The eastern gate, I'm, I'm a little directionally challenged, so I know if I'm standing on the Mount of Olives, it's like this. And it'll go right through that gate, and it'll go all the way to the Dead Sea. What's amazing is they can't build anything around that area because there's a major fault line right there. What a coincidence. But it's never going to have an earthquake. It's waiting for two feet, Right? The earthquake's not going to happen when Jesus is on this horse. When he comes down, he's going to get off the horse, and when his feet hit there, there's going to be so much power, it's going to do that. And he's going to come, and it says, every eye shall see him. Why? Because all the cameras, the Bible says that the, literally the sky is going to roll back. And you could imagine the TV cameras. Good feeling gone. Because he's not coming as the Lamb of God, right? His vestures dipped in blood. There's a name on him called the Word of God. He's coming as the eternal judge now, right? Every knee's going to see him, and they also which pierced him. Think about that. Not only are all the people on the earth going to see Jesus, but the ones that pierced them that are in the earth. All of hell from the middle of the planet are going to still see him. Wow, he's coming. How much power. So we're talking multidimensional now, right? And all, kindred, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. But then the Spirit of God goes, even so, so be it unto me. Even so, amen. Yeah, you're going to wail, you're going to be freaked out, but guess what? This is happening, right? Then he says this, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. What is Jesus saying here? He's revealing. That's the first Greek letter and the last Greek letter. He's, he's saying, I am. I am, all, I am the all in all. I am everything. 
the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. He's saying this, I am the Almighty. Domitian, you're not. See, here's the revelation you get from the book of Revelation. There's, there's these three major revelations, but the one, you know, you get a revelation of who Jesus is in the Gospels, you get a revelation of who he is in the Epistles, but this one is the revelation of the book of Revelation, is that Jesus Christ is the Almighty God, he's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, he's greater than anything you will ever face, and his kingdom will never end. That's what he wants. That's why everybody needs to know this book, right? Because you need to know, especially us. We're going to be, we're dealing with stuff we've never thought of. And, and, you know, if he does tarry his coming, it could be getting really crazy. And I'm telling you, when darkness gets really crazy, guess what that means? Light gets even more crazy. It's going to be crazy good for us, Right? Crazy blessed, crazy dominion, great crazy authority, all hell breaking loose and we're laughing, right? But you got to know who he is. Jesus is letting them know that he is the ultimate authority. In your life today, no matter what you're facing, Jesus is more than enough. He is your everything. I really didn't, I didn't talk to Pastor Mark about that worship set. Because man, that worship set preached this message already. Jesus is revealing to these churches in Asia Minor who are under great persecution. He's saying to them, I am greater than Domitian. My kingdom lasts forever. Domitian is a temporary ruler, however, I am he who is and who was and who always will be. In other words, I am not going anywhere. Domitian is a mere mortal, but I have conquered death, Jesus is saying. Domitian is ruler and king, however, I am ruler and king over all the kings of the earth. Domitian's reign will soon end. However, my reign will never end. Do you see that? That's what you are part of. You're a child of Almighty God. The kingdom of God is here and it's increasing. Domitian claims to be Lord and God. However, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty. That's what, that's what he's saying here. So now verse 9. I, John, now look at this. He goes into eight verses. This is how John is. You would think he would start the letter about himself. You know, I'm in the island of Patmos, thought I'd write to you guys. But John, he always considered Jesus, then others, and then himself. Why? Because he had a revelation of the love of God. That, that puts everything in priority. So we don't find out. He, he doesn't really talk about himself until verse 9. And he says this, I, John. Now he would be revered. Who also am your brother. 
This Greek word means of the same womb. He's saying, guys, I'm not writing to you as somebody who's over you. I'm your brother. Right? In the same way as, as I've been placed as an under-shepherd, as a pastor of this church, I stand in the office of a pastor. Who tells me what to do? Jesus. Who, I mean, wow, some of the scriptures, it's amazing how Jesus will be like, I might come at an unexpected time and I'm going to judge and I'm going to look at your heart motives and, and check you out whenever I want. That's 1 Timothy, right? But guess what? How do I walk out that? Am I to be over you and rule over? No, I am your brother, Tony, who is your pastor. And in relationship, we walk together. That's what John is saying, I'm also your brother and I'm your companion. In the Greek word, in the Greek language, it means I'm your fellow participant in what? In tribulation. He got, he's like, guys, I'm not only your brother, but I'm going through what you guys are going through. In tribulation, it's the Greek word thalipso. This is not a little thing. It describes, Thalipso describes a compacted situation. It, it describes extreme pressure. John is saying, I'm right there with you. It describes something where you're being squeezed. Okay? John is saying, guys, I could relate to you. I'm your brother. And I'm also going through what you're going through. Right? I'm your, I'm your brother, I'm your companion in tribulation, and I'm also your companion in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I'm your companion. See, not only, see in the natural, I'm being squeezed, but wait a minute, but I'm your companion in the kingdom. Do you see that? I'm in the kingdom. Is there any bondage in the kingdom? Nope. They say on the island of Patmos, when John left that island, you know, when he got out, when he was released, the people, the all, which were all political prisoners, they wept. And because John, I, you know, churches were started, people got saved, John was ministering to all these people, and they were just like, wow, we just, you know, thank you for everything, but man, we hate to see you go. In other words, John wasn't on that island beating rocks going, oh, woe is me. Nope, because he's in the kingdom. He had a revelation that God loved him. He walked in the strength of God, right? He walked by the faith of God. He was led by the spirit of God. Now, he was human. I'm sure he had his moments. He was adjusting and repairing like any of us would, right? Because Satan's on his shoulder going, wow, look at, look at where this got you. Right? I bet he did a lot of talking when he was beating rocks in that mind. I am victorious. My God does love me. He got off the island in 18 months. You know how he did it? He spoke it. He would have been on that island going, I'm not going to be on this island forever. I've got things I've got to do in Ephesus. Got to take care of Mary. Right? Well, actually... She was probably already, probably passed. She probably went home to be with the Lord, right, by that time, because she would have been older than him. But man, I'm telling, but maybe not, maybe not a lot older. 
because I think she might have had Jesus when she was maybe 13 or 14 years old. So they could have been very, so that would have put her at maybe what? Maybe let's say 14, so she would have been about 47 when he died. He would have been, well, no, she would have been gone because she, she would have been about 30 years older than him. But look at this. I'm also your companion in the, in the kingdom and patience who pomene, a cheerful and hopeful constant, enduring steadfastness. It's a fruit of your spirit. Do you know in you, you have a spiritual force that comes out of your spirit. It's who you are that is a cheerful and hopeful, constant, enduring steadfastness. That means no matter where you are, it, it just, see, you've, you've heard me say this, it's through faith and patience that we receive the promises. Patience literally will come up out of your spirit and grab hold of your mind and hold it on the word, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And, and literally, the more you're pressed, the stronger it gets until, through faith and patience, you conquer this situation and it changes. So was John bummed out on the island? Nope, he was cheerful. Could you imagine if you came to this church and I was bummed out? How long would you be here? <laughs> Pastor, love you, see ya. Gotta go, right? But we have something to be cheerful about. This is why the pastoral office should never beat the sheep. They should feed the sheep, right? So look at this, this word hupomene means to bear up under a heavy load and stay there. So no matter how you're pressed in life, you are always victorious and you will see victory. That will comfort you in the middle of a storm. And the patience of Jesus Christ, look at this, he says, was in the isle that is called Patmos. He wasn't on it, he was in it. He was in a mind, Right? for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John finally lets him know where he's writing the letter from. He's thinking about Jesus first. He's thinking about them second. He's thinking about himself last. John calls himself a brother and a companion so that he can relate. If you'll ever notice, when you receive from someone it's, it's not like this, right? It's not like here, you know, I'm the pastor, and I mean, you know, in some denominations, man, they're up high, right? You know, here I am, and I'm just looking down. This, this makes me sick. Now, I know I can't wait till our church grows to the point, right? Actually, I, you're not gonna see me preaching from a stage because I don't like talking down, because this is not down. The Spirit of God is always like this. Right? Uh, you know, our relationship. That's well. I'm Okay, you know. Spiritually. There we go. There we go. Yeah, that's right. But you know, it's down. It's, it's right level with you. Like, hey, we're doing this together. Right? So, let me see. I went through all that already. Look at verse 10. He said this, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So let's break this down a little bit because it's not what a lot of people think. 
I was. That phrase in the Greek, it denotes a surprise. And, and it literally it means I came to be by surprise. I mean, he's just in this mine shaft, beaten rocks, whatever, and all of a sudden, by surprise, he was in the spirit. Happened just instantly. I think, I think, don't you have those moments? Man, I have those moments all the time. I can't even talk about those moments where I start having one, like I'm having a moment right now, right? I was in the spirit. In other words, this, this word in the spirit, it's like I was surprised, but I just, I, I instantly broke into the spirit realm. It's like all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And, I, and this happened to me on the Lord's Day. Well, we think Sunday. Seventh-day Adventists think Saturday, right? No, no, it's the, the Lord's Day. This is talking about the imperial day of the Lord. So on the day where Domitian required everyone to burn incense and proclaim him as Lord God, that was the day this happened to John. Everything about the book of Revelation is like slapping, slapping Satan in the face. Oh, it's your imperial day? Well, let me show you a day. I'm going to appear. The king of kings and lord of lords is going to, he, he's going to bring John into the spirit realm, appear to him, and give him this vision. Right? And heard behind me a great voice, I love that, as a trumpet. So all of a sudden, he's just like, he's doing his deal, and all of a sudden, whew, he's in the spirit, and he hears a voice behind him, and he says, it's a great voice, and it sounds like a trumpet. Guys, that's the voice we're going to hear. We're going to hear, and that trumpet's going to say, come up here, and we're just going to be there. So here's, here's Jesus now. Look at what this voice says to him. Verse 11, I am the Alpha and Omega. The first thing that he, Jesus, so here's John, and he hears this great voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's like, that's Jesus. I am the first and last. What you see Right, and Jesus, this word right means right immediately in a book and send it to, unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, we're American Christians. You know they had to be the seven biggest churches in Asia Minor. Minor for Jesus to take the time to write a specific letter to him. That's what you would think, but that's not the case. Three of them were big churches. Four of them were smaller churches. Why? We look at size as numbers. God has a purpose for everything. Do you know there's guys out there and ladies out there that are pastoring churches of 50 people and they care for these people and they teach them the word of God and they live with them. And you know what? They're going to get every award and everything that the biggest ministries get. 
Because why? It's not about how big. It's about are you doing what God has called you to do? That's what it's all about. Right? Four of them were little churches. John, when Jesus said this to him, he would have known the names, the families. He would have known all about all seven of these churches. He, would have, he, was probably, he probably spoke in these churches several times. He was the spiritual father to all these pastors. Right? Could you imagine they're going through all this stuff and they have no contact with John because he's gone. Their spiritual father, their mentor's gone. You know when Brother Hagen went home to be with the Lord in 2003, you know, that was September 19th. I, I forgot the date, and Pastor Hagen, he texted, and he said, hey, you know, my 19 years ago or whatever, my dad went home to be with the Lord. It was amazing. Do you know when his dad went home to be with the Lord, this, this great general in the body of Christ who's just a man, do you know they lost almost half of their income? Worldwide ministry, but people would write him letters. Now that Brother Hagen's gone, we're not going to give anymore right? Pastors felt lost. Amy Simple McPherson, when she died, pastors in the four-square denomination were just lost. They're like, okay, well, what do we do now? Well, wait a minute, who are you looking at? Right? We don't look at a man. So the seven churches, they were very close to each other. Ephesus was about 41 miles from Smyrna, which was about 64 miles from Pergamos. Pergamum, which was about 44 miles to Thyatira, which was about 33 miles from Sardis. They were not far apart, which was about 26 miles to Philadelphia, which was about 26 miles to Laodicea. And then if you went back around, you were about 90, from Laodicea to Ephesus was under 100 miles. So it was not very far. Verse 12 and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, look at this now, because you gotta see, you gotta see the importance of this. I saw, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Probably a more accurate rendering would be a lampstand. That's what the Greek word means. So here's Jesus standing literally right in the middle of seven lampstands, okay? The lampstand we're going to find later, a few verses later, represents the seven churches. Lampstand is a term used to describe local churches. Churches are to bear the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ, you should expect to come here and get revelation of the word of God, of Jesus Christ. So we are a lampstand. I always tell the Lord, you will never have to come take our lampstand out. You know, right? Because what, what, what causes a lampstand to light? They would put olive oil and then put fire to it. And that's what call it. What's olive oil? That's a type of the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, we just don't believe in that Holy Spirit stuff. Well, then you're not a lampstand. You might have a beautiful church building. You might have all the technology in the world. Who cares? You're like a fig tree with no figs. You got leaves, but you have no figs, right? Can I say that publicly? 
A lamp is an instrument to dispense light. And these lampstands, check it out, were golden, which means they're precious, they're valuable. Golden, it references the glory of God. Wow. Guys, this building is not the lampstand. You and I are the lampstands. Right? In other words, the first time we see Jesus, after his ascension, he is standing right in the middle of local churches, forever speaking that, what? I love the local church. Look at how Satan has attacked that. Well, Kenneth Copeland's my pastor. I do church at home. I don't go to church. Right? Viruses break out. I could go to restaurants, I could go to the mall, I could go grocery shopping, but man, if I go to church, I'm going to get COVID. <laughs> right? There's something wrong with that thinking. Verse 13, and in the midst of seven candlesticks or lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man. He caught one like unto the Son of Man. That's Jesus in his humanity. Think, think about John, the power of the risen Christ, but he's standing before him as the Son of Man. In other words, this man who he laid on his chest at the Last Supper, who literally was the only one at the crucifixion, standing next to Jesus' mom, and Jesus is about to die, and he's like, John, Behold your mom. In other words, John, take care of my mom. Right? That's the last. And then all of a sudden, boom, now he sees Jesus for 40 days after he's resurrected. He sees him. Well, now he's seeing the same Jesus. Pretty powerful. Clothed with a garment down to the foot. That's a priestly garment. And gird about with paps with a golden girdle, that was the attire of a conquering king. So not only a priest, but also a conquering king. Notice that Jesus, and you got to see this, Jesus is not observing from a distance. Jesus values specific local churches. Right? You have to know that. Today, Jesus is walking up and down these aisles looking at your heart on how you're receiving. He's in the nursery watching those workers, stirring them, but he's looking at them. He's observing. He's in the preschool room. He's looking at, toddler, at the toddler room. He's down in children's church. He is inspecting. These Greek words means he's walking around inspecting everything. Why? Because all of it is going to be, it's to be your reward. When you go to work tomorrow, guess what? He's going to be inspecting. He's going to be walking around. He's looking at you, not from a distance. No, he's with you. He wants to help you. He wants to help you adjust. He wants to strengthen you, right? He wants to help correct some things in your life. He's not mad. He's not looking. He's not... Oh, they're not going to hear a rumble in the nursery if the workers just kind of, yeah, whatever. 
somebody has a wrong attitude, he's not gonna, you're not gonna see somebody fly, like an usher falls asleep out there, and you're not gonna see him tumble past the door like God just slapped him, wake up. No, that's not, no, that's not what he does. He's always helping us. Right? <clears throat> see, he's right in the middle. I gotta take some time here. Some believe that you could be part of the universal church, but not necessarily a local body. That's like saying, Jeanette, I kind of believe in the universal concept of marriage, but just not our marriage. So I know we're married, but listen, I'm going to kind of go do what I want to do. And, you know, I, because I really, eh, no, that's just kind of weird, right? Especially with my wife, because she does not believe in divorce. She told me that early on. I don't believe in divorce. I'm like, praise God, we made a decision. We'll never speak the word divorce in our marriage. Now, she did tell me she believes in murder. So, so and, and you know, she would get away with it. I don't want to all of a sudden think I got raptured. And Jesus is like, nope. I was trying to warn you, man, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. She's the sweetest and most gracious lady you'd ever want to meet. It says this, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. That, that, that's a type of a penetrating look of judgment. And his feet likened to fine brass, again, judgment, as if it burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Verse 16, and he had, he had in his right hand, now this word had is the Greek word he was holding in his right hand. Let me see if I could preach left-handed here, or right-handed. He was holding in his right hand. Wow, this is hard to read. The right hand of God is a place of safety and protection. He was holding something to keep it safe and to protect it. What was he holding? Seven stars. We're going to see in verse 20 that the stars were the pastors of these seven churches. He's saying, I'm going to protect you. Right? And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In other words, what did he speak? The word of God. The word of God speaks the word of God, right? And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now think about it. John would have went, wow, this is even beyond the Mount of Transfiguration that I saw. Right? I love that. So... Why did he say all this? So Domitian's son died, okay? And Domitian made a coin with his, Domitian deified his son and said he was the son of Zeus, which would empower Domitian as a god. And he made a coin and he minted it of his son sitting on the globe of heaven holding seven stars in his right hand. That's why Jesus said, Domitian 
You can, you can say your son who's been deified is holding seven stars, but I'm the God who's holding these seven pastors. Do you see how he's, he's just, he's right in the face of what's going on. Domitian said, now, or another, he had another coin minted in Crete, which shows Domitian's son sitting on the globe of heaven, playing with seven stars. Jesus is saying, no, you're not playing with my seven stars. You can't touch them, right? Playing with the seven stars, this is where, this is a symbol, this has been a symbol in the earth of universalism, right? The age of a new, uh, actually it's symbolic of the new age movement. See, seven stars in Jesus' right hand. What do stars do? They provide illumination from above. Lampstands provide illumination from below. Okay, you get that? Lampstands provide the light of divine revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. A lampstand is not the light itself. It's only an instrument in dispensing the light. You and I are instruments to dispense the light. It must receive oil and fire before it can dispense the light. That's why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need the oil and the fire to dispense your light. Well, pastor, can you have another evangelism class? Well, here's step number one. I mean, go read books on evangelism. That's great. God will move any way he can. But when you get oil and fire, you will dispense light like you've never seen before. Right? These pastors were under incredible persecution. They were wondering if they were going to make it. It brought them great comfort when their spiritual father told them, I had a vision of Jesus and he was holding all of you guys in his right hand. They were probably going, praise God, we are not going to go under, we are going to make it, right? And I saw him, verse 17, and I fell at his feet as dead. <laughs> Think about that. Now, John would have seen him before, but there was so much glory. He just fell at his feet as dead. And Jesus laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. How many times is he going to say that? He says that over and over. Church, he is greater than what you're facing right now. He is able to fix the mess that you've created or that was created against you. His mercy is greater than any disobedience you've ever walked in. Behold, he says, I make all things new. Rejoice in that. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He says it again. Then he says, amen. See, I love that about Jesus. He walked, he gets so excited when he says it. He's like, I am everything. Amen, so be it unto me. That's what he's saying. He's preaching. He's, he's stirring himself up. I love that. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, 
and the things which shall be hereafter. And this is a real key in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation describes things past, present, and things future. So you've got to have, there's certain keys when we teach that we have to go through. The mystery, verse 20, of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. It's the Greek word angelos. It means messengers. It's talking about the pastor. Why did he just not say pastor? Because these guys were under such pure persecution, he did not want to mention them, I believe, to, to protect them. So he just said angel, angelos. But who is the messenger? I am the messenger for this church. I'm to hear from God and then equip you. And then as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit literally tailor makes it to each of us, including me, so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. I love that. And the seven candlesticks or lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Chapter two, verse one. So we finally, now that was the preview. All right, so let's keep going real quick. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Unto the angel, in other words, this letter was written to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now this is interesting. These things, he's writing this to the pastor. These things saith he that holds, this is the Greek word kratio. It means to use his strength to seize hold to, con to the point where he has complete sovereign control. He took possession of and he will continue to hold. It talks about his strength holding these pastors in his right hand. Wow, in a position of divine power and authority. I'm also the one that walks. This Greek word literally walks means to walk in a circle, to walk around, inspecting and looking, firsthand knowledge. He doesn't use angels to give him a report. He's here, right? Who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, or lampstands, or churches. Jesus is saying to this pastor, I am walking around your church. Jesus is saying to us, he walks around the local churches. Why do people sit at home and hear the greatest teaching in the world and still they're a mess? Because we get everything together and we need to be in his presence. We're a gathering faith. That's why we have to pray we pray for these things because we always need to be able to gather. Jesus is saying he is in control and has sovereign control over these pastors. See, pastors are, are accountable for what they say and what they do. Who are they accountable to? To their board? Well, okay, I've got a corporate board. I'm accountable. I send a report every month to Rama. But no, no, my true accountability is to him to say and do what he wants. Jesus walks around and in the midst of, local, of the local church to examine, investigate their zeal 
This, see, this is what he's looking for. Your hunger, your zeal, your love, your commitment, your activity. Ministry becomes very serious because Jesus investigates his ministry gifts. How does he do it? According to this, with his full authority. So if you're sitting going, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, what do you think Jesus, do you think that pleases him? Right? No. No. You're missing it. When you get, see, I'm hoping that this gives you a glimpse. There is inside of all of you gifts, grace, faith, anointing that is needed in this local body because you're here, but then you get equipped to go out and do ministry. Some people just want to go out because, man, don't tell me what to do. I don't want to be under any authority. I just want to go do my own ministry. And they're so in love with ministry, but they don't realize they're not ready. Right? I go to Rama. Man, I'm like a three-year, four-year Rama student. Now, I haven't tithed, I haven't given, I haven't really done anything, but man, I'm going to go start a church. Well, great. Your church will be filled with people that don't do anything, don't give anything, and you're going to wonder why it's not working, right? Lampstands are to be put on a high place where they can give light in the darkness. Lampstands are filled with olive oil, which represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Without the oil, we lose our witness. The church is a living expression of Jesus. That's why when people, I mean, when people come in our parking lot, they should sense the love of God. No judgment. No, come as you are. Right? God loves you. We're an expression of Jesus. He places priceless value on the church because he fills his church and shows forth his glory from his church. Hang with me, we're getting close. Verse two, I know your works. This word know, you're gonna see. He said, literally the word know means I have first-hand experience of all of your activities because I've seen them with my own eyes. I know your works and that which is your specific activities and I also know your labor. He's saying to this church, I know your labor. This is work that gets you to exhaustion. This church was laboring. What are we to labor in? To enter his rest. These guys were doing, working so hard in the ministry, it was wearing them out. And that caused them to leave their first love. Right? They lost sight of why. It results, it, this is labor that results in exhaustion. And I know your patience, I know your endurance, he says, and how that you cannot bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. That's interesting he says that. You know how many people I've met that say they're apostles? I had one guy call me up and say, hey, I'm the, I'm the apostle of Omaha. I will be at your church Sunday. I've got a message for your church. This was years and years ago. I'm like, who are you? I'm your apostle. I'm like, and I'm talking to this guy, and he's just, you know, I'm like, listen, dude, you're not coming to the church. 
and, and going to speak to the people. And he's like, I am your apostle. I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll give you the apostolic test. He's like, what? Yeah, apostolic test. It's only one question. And if you pass it, I'll consider it. I'm not taking some stupid test. Okay, all right, well, have a nice... No, no, wait, what, well, what? I've never heard of this. What is the test? I go, it's real simple. You ready? I'll give it to you right now. He's like, yeah, whatever. I go, what are my children's names? And he's like, what? I've never even met you. I don't know your kids' names. What are you talking... Then you're not my apostle. Because the apostolic ministry is in relationship. No relationship. Bye. <laughs> have you ever been invited to Bible studies for people that love to teach? They have no ownership in your life. They just want you to come hear them teach. Run. Run. You want people around you that love you. That God can wake up at three in the morning. And that you, could, you, you can get stirred. Man, sometimes I go in my office and, and you know, and I'm trying. I, I turn on this heater thing and and I because I don't want to wake Jeanette up, but sometimes I'm walking around, I'm crying, I'm declaring over people. But that's that's ownership. That's not because I'm anything. It's 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 what he calls us to. And it says here, who say they're apostles and are not, as and have found them liars. Verse 3, and has born and has patience and for, thy, for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. See, this church was weeding out people. They were working very hard to make sure it was right. But they lost their first love because they were laboring. If you're toiling at work, you're going to, you're, the, the revelation of how God loves you and how he moves in your life, it'll slip away. You got to grab that. You got to go to work and say, my work is going to be worship. I'm, do, I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this because God's called me here. I'm deployed here. I'm not employed here. Right? Verse four, we're almost done. Nevertheless, well, we're almost ready to pause. We're never done. <laughs> Nevertheless, God help me. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. This is, this, I have, this is the Greek word echo. This means I have this intense emotional feeling that I'm filled with. Jesus is saying, I am very intense and emotional about something I'm not happy about in this church. When I first studied this stuff, I went to the Lord. I'm like, wait a minute, time out. Especially the letter to the church where his wife, the pastor's wife was messing up. And, and, or like, he, he goes, pastor, I have something against you because this is happening in your church. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. You mean to tell me you have something against me and you're being really intense here about some, I can't control these people. But Jesus' response is, dude, you're one. Do what I've called you to do, right? So interesting. I have this intense feeling that I'm filled with about something that I have against you, and here it is, because you have left. This word left means it's a slow departure it happens so slowly, 
you didn't even realize it. People don't just walk away from God. It's a very slow departure. Have you ever had a moment with Jesus where you're going, wow, I need to make a change right now. I'm going in this direction and he's going here. Right? The Holy Spirit will help you with that. You've left, you've slowly departed from your first or your early love. This church forgot that which is most important to Jesus. What is most important? What you do for him? No. Most important is for you to maintain your early love. He wants you to maintain. How do you do it with your maintainer? Not retainer, maintainer. You talk about how good God is. When you feel like you can't, he, you talk about how he's always talking to you, how he always leads you, how he always gives you triumph, how he's your healer, how he's your provider. You just stir that. Jesus wants us to do the work of the ministry while we're maintaining our first love. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen. This word fallen means a complete downfall. Time out, Jesus. You are talking to the most powerful church in the early church. This is the greatest and strongest church, and you're telling them that they're completely fallen. Wow. See, things are not always what they seem. You could have thousands of people and all kinds of stuff, and it, it could look so right. But Jesus was saying to this 100,000-member church, you've completely fallen. And he says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember, this Greek word means it describes a tomb, it describes a statue, it describes a monument, it describes a sepulcher. What is he saying? Why did he use that word remember in the Greek? Because I want you to dig up your first love that you buried in this tomb and then I want you to erect a monument and an altar so that you always remember never to go here again. And it says here, remember from whence you are fallen. And then it says this, after you remember, repent. It's the Greek word metanoia. It has nothing to do with emotions. It's not a matter of emotions. This word means that you, it's not an emotion. You know, you have a lot of people that come up to an altar crying and wailing. And a lot of times, that's the Greek word that means remorse. They're remorseful. They're coming up here crying because they realize, man, what I'm doing is hurting my life. It's hurting the lives of those around me, but I'm not going to stop. But gosh, I'm just so remorseful. I'm so remorseful that I got caught. Well, if you get caught, don't be remorseful. That's not going to help you. Repent. If you're totally guilty and you repent, you change your mind, your will, your, your, your purpose, God can restore everything. What a great message we would preach in prisons in Mexico, in Orange County, California, in L.A. County. Listen, guys who've made big mistakes and got caught, don't worry about that. Wear a jumpsuit for a while. You won't be wearing it for long. 
God will get you out of here. Well, with my record, I can't get a job. Oh, no, no, he'll make a way where there's no way. You're still going to be prosperous. The blessing of the Lord is upon you. You haven't disgraced or disqualified yourself for ministry. Right? And repent and do the first works. Then he says this, or else I'm going to come upon thee quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place except you repent. What? Do you mean to tell me that Jesus would come into a local church and remove it? He, was, he said, I'll come quickly and do it. But then he says, except you repent. Do you know this Greek word accept is so awesome? Because Jesus, within this word accept, Jesus is telling them, but guys, I know you're going to repent. He believes that they're going to make the right choice. Today, if you're blowing it out the tubes, Jesus believes you're going to make the right choice. He never stops believing in you. Ever, ever, ever. Wow. See, so Jesus is telling them how to maintain their early love. Jesus is telling them to make a, a focused effort to dig up their early love and put it ever before their eyes. And then he says this, I'll finish with this. But this thou hast, or you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And I've got to close with this because this is big. Nicolaitans, Nicholas, we see him in Acts 6, 5. He was one of the initial seven deacons. The, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans you're going to see throughout these letters. If, I don't know if we're going to go on in this. I don't know. But because I just wanted you to see this. But this doctrine, the word Nicolaitans, it means to conquer the laity. This doctrine conquers Christians. His doctrine said this, since the law is ended, we're no longer under the law. Well, that's true. And we can do anything. That's not true. Right? His doctrine said, since the body is evil and not going to heaven, it doesn't matter what you do with your body right now on the earth. His doctrine said, we are dependent on grace and cannot violate it. I have no ability to violate grace. That's not, that's not Bible. So we can sin and it doesn't have any effect because we're under grace. Have you heard some of that now? Grace, if you study it out, ask Pastor Edwin. He's been teaching on it for about 400 years, right? <laughs> grace does not give you a license to sin. It actually empowers you to walk free from it. This doctrine also said the only way to... Uh, really be able to understand sin is to indulge in it. So in other words, if I, so for me to really understand someone who's bound in porn, I have to, I have to do that. Or, you know, if I really want to minister to a drug addict, I've got to become a drug addict. See how whack that is? See how I, all this stuff conquers the laity? And then he finishes the letter. 
He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Jesus uses a Persian word, which means a place of extreme beauty and pleasure. That's where this tree is. Wow. Jesus is saying to them, he that overcomes the sin and corruption that is trying to conquer the people, they will be allowed to eat of the tree of life in the midst of the place of most beauty and pleasure. God wants to help you today. So I would encourage every one of you guys, we have people that, I mean, I'm looking at a bunch of people that love God with all their heart. I'm here to tell you God wants to take you deeper. Deeper. 